You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers. And we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person. And that starts with our personal Personal check-in. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Welcome. Welcome back. To our listeners, we have an exciting, exciting interview planned for you today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Usually, if you've already picked up on this, if you're uh, if you're a fan of the show, someone else's voice has chimed in by, by now, and you're like, hey, where's Jess? Maybe you didn't notice it, but if you've had your morning coffee, you probably did. Jess and I would be riffing right now, and you're not hearing from Jess. That's because Jess is out changing the world. Uh, Jess is out changing the world, doing what she does, entrepreneurship, life. So what we've done, we have the privilege today of tapping a a pinch-hitting co-host, and you guys are in for a real treat. We've got my friend, Charles Robinson. Charles, are you on the call? Can you hear me? I can hear you perfect, Rob. I love it. I love (laughs) it. Welcome, brother. I'm so excited to do this with you, man. Like we, you have, I've already told you this offline, but like, this is a long time coming. I wanted you to come on as a guest and like, we couldn't find a way to make that work yet. But hey, this is just us getting creative and, and making that happen in a different way. Absolutely, man. I'm excited, man. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. So, hey, for those of you who don't know Charles Robinson, you know, he's a, he's a bull, bull city guy. So he, I'm sure if you're here in Durham, you either know, it's like, he's like the seven degrees, is it six degrees or seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, Charles? Do you know what? Is it Kevin, uh, someone six degrees of separation? There we go. Yeah. It's, but there's also like, there's that thing that they say about Kevin Bacon or like, you know, basically you can play it out. I feel yeah. like if you don't know Charles personally, you know somebody who knows him if you live in Durham. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with him, Charles is an entrepreneur. He is a, a bridge builder. He is, uh, he's got experience uh, in the ecosystem building world, formerly of uh, an entity called Forward Cities, which I'm sure he'll, he'll weave in a little bit into the conversation. Marketing guru, husband, dad, and actually new dad, a new addition to the family, which I'm sure he'll, he'll tell you about here in a minute. So he's, he's running probably on a few hours of sleep and has blessed us with his his presence today. I'm really excited. So Charles, I want to start out by just having you do a little personal check-in. We all, Jess and I always do that. Yeah, man. Just tell us a little bit about how, how you're doing, man. Good, man. So the sleep thing, that's, that is true. Uh, I've ran off little hours of sleep. So I have an Apple watch that tracks my sleep. And last night, I only got three hours and 50 minutes. But, you know, navigating the, a newborn, I uh, have four kids, six, five, three and a half in seven months. So definitely in the fog of war, as most people, I don't know where I'm going, east, west, north, or south right now, but I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, other than that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be here and, and doing all right. How about you, man? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, hey, I'm right there. In, in that data for firmly, I think we, our kids are like literally, we're on the same life trajectory, right? Which means we need to, we need to be swapping war stories more than we do. I, I feel like I need to be texting you all the time for dad <laughs> advice because I'm, I'm right there, man. Like I don't have the newborn at home. So I got a little bit more sleep than you last night. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're, I'm doing good, man. I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other. I mean, this is just such a 2020. I mean, we're, we're about to land the plane and, and round this thing out. And it's just been yeah. such a whirlwind and it's heaviness. But also I believe that we're, we're clinging to hope. 
Yeah. Right. And those two words, I think, are very true and resonate with with everyone that's still that's still listening to this podcast. Right. Like if you're still listening to this and if this is your first one, this is this is a great one. This is a great first one, because I think we're we're zooming out. We're going to be at 10,000 feet. We're also going to get down onto the ground and we're going to touch on so many things that I think represent all the values of, of why we do this podcast. But yeah, I think I, I think that kind of sums up how I'm doing. Like it's heavy. It is so heavy processing the events of 2020 of everything that has happened even this month, but clinging to hope too. And that's where I I, I think that you're such a great addition to the podcast, Charles. Because I think that's 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 your spirit too, man. Knowing your character as a friend, like you don't push aside hard things, but you also you lean into heaviness with this hope. That's the way you carry yourself in every conversation, and it fills up. Those around you, I think they catch that. It's infectious. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to our audience getting a little taste of that the way that I have uh, and just gain so much from it personally myself. So I'm sure for, for our audience, Charles is going to bring his full self into this conversation as he does to everything that he does. So you'll, you'll hear, he'll, he'll <laughs> live out his bio in the next little bit. Uh, you don't need to hear any more. But I, what I'd like to do is officially welcome our actual guest to the show, Donna Harris, Donna, are you are you there? Can you can you hear us? I'm here, and I'm also enjoying listening to two men lament their child woes and their lack of sleep. This is very refreshing for me as a mom. Oh well, wait till yeah, yeah. She she dropped it on us real big because my wife would be like, oh yeah, right. You- exactly. <laughs> Let's check her watch and see how much. <laughs> that's that's exactly what it is, Donna. You know, like we can't. I can't go to my wife and complain about these things because honestly, I don't have a real right to. Like I, I don't. I just don't. So when I get to hang out with Charles as another dad of four, that's where I can kind of do it in a, a more of an unguarded fashion. That I think it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> in this day and age, the fact that men are even participating and taking a part in it and sharing it. <laughs> It's wonderful, even if it is, you know, three and a half hours of sleep is is great. Shows how much you're participating. So I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, we're so glad to have you on the show, Donna. Looking forward to getting to know you a little better before we do and kind of jump into a little bit more of your story. I I just want to kind of frame up your bio for people who, who may not be as familiar with you and your work. Donna Harris is the CEO of Builders and Backers, which is a national initiative to unleash and fund a wave of ideation and experimentation to solve our community's challenges. She's also a general partner of 1776 Ventures, which is a venture capital fund with investments on five continents and a venture partner at Praxis. Donna was formerly managing director of the Startup America Partnership, and she is on the board of the Global Entrepreneurship Network and the Policy Council of the Economic Innovation Group. She's also an active angel investor and co-founder of K Street Capital Angel Investing. Donna has been recognized as one of Washington, D.C.'s Power 100 by Washington Business Journal and Washington Life, and as a tech titan by Washingtonian Magazine. And she is a frequent speaker and contributor to publications such as Fortune, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and others. She lives in Washington, D.C. area with her husband, Linwood, son, Chase, and a menagerie of animals, which I hope we get to unpack that a little bit at some point, because that's just a fun word to say. And I just need, it makes me want to lean in and just say, please. I need a full paragraph just for that. <laughs> please tell us more about what that looks like. I feel like I live with a menagerie of animals that are little humans, but I'm sure it's, it's different. So Donna, thank you so much for being on. As our listeners can hear, there's a lot of, you have such a, a powerful background of why I think a wealth of information and knowledge and wisdom to be able to impart on us today. But I'm just looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better. And we, you know, as you heard Charles and I do, we always start out just trying to 
do a little bit of a personal check-in. You know, in 2020, we think that's just really important. So we'd love to just ask you, hey, what are one or two words that describe how you're doing today? Yeah, today's, today's a tough one. So I'm going to say I'm, I'm hanging in there, but holding out hope. How's that? Nice. That's good. That's good. Like, that's that's honest. Lot at you. No, I definitely feel you on that. I mean, we were definitely in some unprecedented times. I mean, for everybody going through things. So I could definitely, you know, feel you and and where you're coming from with that. What are some of the things that, that made it so tough for you if you don't? You know, as if being in a year of a global pandemic and economic crisis and racial unrest and society sort of being like a giant snow globe that we shook up and we haven't yet figured out how it's all going to land. Mm-hmm. Personally, our family is going through some things. We learned that my 17-year-old nephew was shot and killed over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that is a lot for our family to process in the middle of, I mean, in any moment, but in the middle of this moment in particular. So, you know, it just sort of, you sort of wonder how much do we, how, how much do we endure and, for me personally, as a person of faith, bringing it back to trust and faith and that it's forcing me to think about what really matters in life. I'm sort of constantly being faced with the, the confrontation of that. Mm-hmm. What matters our relationships? What matters our family, our friends, our community, the people around us, the things that I was taught to matter, career, success, achievement, wealth, whatever. Yeah, those things don't, don't really matter the way that I thought they did. And I'm sort of constantly being reminded of that. That's strong. And, and thank you so much for sharing that, Don. I mean, you hit it on the head in, in a way that I believe as well is, you know, what matters are relationships. And I think that ties into with all the things that you have going on with your personal life, even with the work that you're doing and, and, and the way that you view the world, you know, tell us, tell us your story. You know, how did you get into all of the things that uh, Rob mentioned is in, in your strong bio? I mean, what, what is it that 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 got you to to this point. Tell tell us a little more about your story. Yeah, I I have this really fascinating and sort of fun story. I I was always a person who thought I'm going to plan my plan. I'm going to work my plan. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go work on Wall Street. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And in college, I put my name on the interviewing lists to go do all those any job that had the word finance in it. I stuck my name on. I ended up getting a job offer as a systems engineer by a company called EDS in the tech field. And I, it turns out that that interview came because my career office actually put me on the wrong interview list. So I thought I was signing up for their finance department interviews. And it turned out I was interviewing for a systems engineer, which by the way, I had no idea what a systems (laughs) engineer was. But you, you know, you see, imagine somebody who's got college student loan debt and you're coming out of being broke for four years and you get a really nice offer from a company to do a job that you're like, how bad could this be? I mean, certainly I could go do this. So I ended up taking a leap after we had much more conversation <laughs> about what that job was. And it started me in a, in a trajectory that I never would have planned for myself. And, you know, fast forward from there, sort of six or seven years later, and I, my jump into entrepreneurship was just as sort of accidental. I was traveling 24-7. I was on the road all the time. I was in a sales job for Oracle. So I was just selling like crazy. My territory was literally half the globe in the automotive industry. So I was never home. And I really, I didn't want to do that anymore. I just felt like I wanted some semblance of a life. So I, I quit my job 
And then I had this sort of, oh crap moment where I realized I needed to pay the bills. And I ended up sort of cobbling it together into what I would now call a startup. But at the time I wasn't taking a purposeful leap and leap and saying, let's go start a company. But that then launched me into the trajectory of doing things in the entrepreneurial world. And every bit of, of the work that I've done in that world, there's the thematic of doing it in areas where it's about solving a big problem, using entrepreneurial tools to tackle something that matters. In the moment, I wasn't purposefully doing it. But now that I look back and see how those threads have all woven themselves together, it's very much the sense of you know entrepreneurship is a fantastic tool that can be applied to do all kinds of amazing things. And that's really been the trajectory that I've followed ever since. I've done five different startups. I've raised tens of millions of dollars, sold several of them, also had some giant flops along the way. And um, that led me to start America in the wake of the Great Recession, when we had this recognition that startups create jobs, entrepreneurs are the job creators that our country needs, words we're hearing a lot lately. And so from sort of then through 2013, traveled the country and had a chance to see and help mobilize entrepreneurial leadership and communities everywhere as leaders sort of driving more people being able to start companies, more companies being able to grow in the communities they call home. And it's been fantastic to see that, you know, the last 10 years unfold into startups really being able to be planted everywhere and really great entrepreneurs in every community in America. Hmm. Man, this is an exciting conversation when you, you know, entrepreneurship in, in general is high energy, which is, you know, if you haven't picked up on like Charles's energy level yet, I mean, he's only running on three hours of sleep. Can you imagine what Charles is like off seven or eight, right? I mean, his energy level is already kind of at a 12. And that's, I mean, I feel like entrepreneurship is this like, hey, let's go solve these big challenges. And I think that for us as a, you know, we're leaning into the whole premise of this podcast is around justice. And what does it look like to, to solve some of the, some of our community's most biggest challenge when it comes to injustice? What does it mean to come up with solutions for that? You know, that is something that is, I think taking the right posture is really important, but all in order to leverage the assets of kind of the entrepreneurial space, entrepreneurship space. And so I think maybe the way to frame this up is I've heard you speak recently on this earlier this year. There's just this importance that as you enter into creative action, you know, which very much is another, you know, in that entrepreneurship space, the importance of lament as the backdrop. I'll quote you here a couple of things. And I think talking about having to be willing to enter into lament, to face brokenness in ourselves and in our communities to be able to tackle that brokenness. And you you talk about the, the temptation for us to jump straight to meaning making, but you asked this, what, is it, what does it look like to wrestle with the question, how can brokenness and love both coexist? And, and so I'd love for you just to speak to that. And obviously this is, this is deeply personal for you today, talking about the backdrop of this weekend and just you, you showing up. I don't wanna hold space for the fact that like you're, you're, these things are, are really true for you right now in this moment. This is not a theoretical intellectual exercise but there's something that you're living out, How, however you feel comfortable, just leaning into speaking more to the importance of lament as we try to solve. Yeah. I mean, as entrepreneurs, and, and I myself am, am one, we want to immediately get to action, right? We're very action-oriented people, which is what makes entrepreneurs amazing people. We don't like to sit around and navel gaze. We, we don't really want to talk a lot about 
what doesn't work or what can't work or why it isn't working. We want to get to what do we do about it? How do, how do we fix it? How do we solve it? What's the answer? How do we scale it? And those are wonderful, remarkable traits. But what I've learned in my journey is when we race to that solution, it isn't about not getting to the solution, but when we race to the solution, we skip over some of the important things that are really critical to community. They're critical to relationship. They're critical to building the kinds of bonds that we need to really get to some of the best answers, right? We look at the study, we look at the data, we study problems clinically, we jump to our hypotheses, we immediately start testing solutions. And we skip over the fact that when we are aiming these, this sort of solving at problems that really matter, these problems are emotional, they're personal, they're deep, they cut very deep wounds and scars in communities and individuals. And we have to pause and take a moment to understand that and to feel the full weight of it because in it, we find a different set of answers. So for me, the, the sort of early seed of that was planted when I visited Haiti 20 years ago. It's actually 20 years ago this year. And I met a little boy who was living in City Soleil, which for anyone who's never been to Haiti, it's literally a sewage dump where all the sewage from all of sort of Port-au-Prince area sort of flows down. And kids literally live in like, cardboard box homes and tiny little tin shacks. And it is absolute. And, and, and speaking from somebody who grew up in the Detroit area, to go there and realize that the depth of the poverty that, that is there. So I met a little boy at the time, probably wasn't any more than sort of seven or eight. Spent the day with him, loving on him, sort of thinking about what his world must be like. And then had the realization at the end of the day that I had to leave him there. And that just, it, it broke me, literally broke me. And it is something that 20 years later, I still, it's still a touch point for me as I think about, do we care enough to solve the kinds of problems that lead to a seven-year-old boy living in sewage dumps? Do we care enough to solve the kinds of problems that lead to a 17-year-old shooting another 17-year-old? Right? These, are, these are very deep problems. And if we don't really spend the time to let them infuse us, we aim our solving at things that can take on a different life. They can become about the scale. They can become about the metrics. They can become about the money. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but they have to be tempered with. These are humans. These are real human and community problems that we absolutely have to care about as a society. We must care about. It must break us that kids are killing each other, that kids are committing suicide, that people are taking opioids, that people don't have a job. They can't pay their mortgage, their rent. They don't have food to eat because we have a pandemic going on. We have to care. And in that depth of lament comes an openness to solutions and solution partners that we might not have entertained if we didn't pause to just let that infuse us and to feel the full weight of the grief of it. That's powerful. You know, this is where I think you and I uh, really uh, connect well in, because in, with Forward Cities, it's a organization focused on creating uh, ecosystems, specifically inclusive ecosystems. And, you know, the, the thing that, you know, when we first were starting out is understanding that we're dealing with people and it's not a science lab. And, you know, sometimes in the entrepreneurial community, because we're so action oriented and speed, you can have like a gloss over real quick in regards to going deep versus going fast and, and trying to have that balance. And those are the things that you speak of that really 
is, is very key, especially within this work and taking that time to hold that emotion, taking that time to actually go deep, to understand like, Hey, like these people really are going through a lot, you know, like for example, yourself, like even being an ecosystem builder beyond just the things of each day that you have to go through, you are still going to have to have your personal life. You still have to have the relationships that go on. You still have to show up and be able to solve problems, even when you're emotionally and mentally are not fully present. And how do you navigate those things? And it kind of gets into what you spoke about in your interview as well. You mentioned, and I love this phrase, uh, creating uh, flourishing communities. Mm-hmm. That's also a, a big key in regards to the way I see things as well Is like, how do we take the, the both and approach where we have typically within these communities, you have your churches, you have your nonprofits who are typically the, the main players in this space, but how do you take innovation and entrepreneurship and capital and run that through that system so that people are understanding that we can find innovative ways to make things happen. So uh, that's one thing I wanted to better yeah. understand is how do we actually create flourishing cities? Um, and I have a few other follow-up questions, but that's the, the first piece of my question I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I mean, if you think about where, where we are as a country, you think about you know, what are we optimizing for, right? In, in the world of tech, there's this phrase called fitness function, which is what are you optimizing for in your platform? So, you know, if you're Google, you're optimizing for somebody finding what they want on the first page of their search results, right? Everything that they do is that's their fitness function. That's what they're trying to optimize for. If we think about as a country, we think about where we are. In essence, we're optimizing for wealth. We're optimizing for gain. And we are dealing with the consequences of that on the back end. So if you've watched Social Dilemma or read much about what's going on in the tech world, it's a really great example of that, that we just, we built it because we can. And we didn't really think about some of these really critical, critical consequences, right? And I I always say to my son, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And so if we're optimizing for return, we're optimizing, you know, the world of entrepreneurship, then everything else sort of becomes things you deal with on the back end. And as a result, if we think about how we approach the challenges we face in our community, we have entrepreneurs and investors focusing on building companies because that's how we're going to get returns. That's how we're going to drive job growth. That's how we're going to create the companies that our community has. Separately from that, we have literally billions of dollars, trillions of dollars going into philanthropy, volunteerism, social sort of issues, non-for-profits, millions of not-for-profits dealing with everything from education shortfalls, housing issues, food, you name it. We aren't looking at those things like they belong together, like they're two sides of the same coin. If we actually care about what a thriving community looks like, a thriving community sees serving and solving philanthropy and investment as sort of a whole. If you can sort of imagine it like a four quadrant matrix, it's a part of a whole, in which case we are all on the same team as opposed to we're optimizing for returns over here and we're dealing with the consequences of how much we haven't cared for our community over here. Um, So when we think about flourishing, we have a concept that we call flourishing flywheel. And it literally looks at a community and says, if we're actually going to be flourishing, we need enough sort of infrastructure and core that we actually have a flywheel, right? So that's things like good schools. We need co-working spaces, we need incubators, we need accelerators, we need good healthcare systems, right? We need, we need the solid infrastructure. Then we need things that are going to actually accelerate the growth, turn the flywheel. 
right? That's things like, how do we get more people into entrepreneurship? How do we, how do we expand our reach so that more people see different pathways? How do we focus on career education? But we also need to think about what is decelerating our flywheel. And it turns out that's actually the bigger problem right now. There's a lot that's dragging on our flywheel, like inequality and access to things like high quality education. It's health issues. It's some of the racial issues that we face in many of our communities. So we can't look at it just as, yay, we opened an incubator. Yay, we've started a venture fund. Those things, you're literally just like on a hamster wheel, not ever going anywhere because we aren't removing the decelerants. We're not looking at it holistically. And it turns out things like economic development and community development, and all these things belong together because if we actually care about flourishing, they all matter because our flywheel doesn't turn very fast when we've got a bunch of stuff dragging on it. So that's, that's really been our focus is to get people to understand entrepreneurial thinking and doing sort of entrepreneurial approaches matter, serving and solving belong together, not separate. How do we merge them together as a community? And then how do we all come together around this concept of a flourishing flywheel so that we can see that all of our work together is what's going to add up to flourishing. And it's going to take literally thousands, if not millions of experiments to solve the problems because most of the problems that we face that are preventing flourishing, they're big, they're complicated, they're hairy, ugly problems. And we don't know the answer. And when you don't know the answer, you need a lot of experimentation to figure it out. This is not like going in a lab and just funding the one scientist that's going to find, come out of the lab with, here's the answer for poverty. That's not, that's not going to happen. Probably the answer is lots and lots of different things working together because poverty, it turns out, is thousands of little problems, not just one big problem to be solved. So we're trying to equip communities to think differently about this because that's really the only way we get to flourishing as opposed to we're working on one piece of the puzzle, but we actually never generate a flywheel that moves fast enough to help communities recover and really get to a place of thriving. One thing I, I think of with the flywheel, because you, you hit it right on the head, you know, you have the entrepreneurial side kind of speed things up. And then you have the, you know, the slower side, which is, you know, the systemic racism, the poverty, uh, social mobility, like all of these different things that are that, that we have to deal with. The things that I realize too, especially in this in this type of climate that we're going through right now, we're operating in places of extremes. And those are the things that it has been difficult being an ecosystem builder to try to get people from these polarizing opposites to come together and essentially lament where they come from to put it on the, the table and then try and figure out ways that we can work together and, and serving the holistic person and, and not just being on one side or the other, but looking at that flywheel as one unified group. So I'm curious, you know, especially during these polarizing times, you know, whether it's political climate, whether it's the, the racial climate, whether it's the economic climate, how do we as entrepreneurs, but then also using your, your term servers and solvers, how do you take the servers who have their worldview and, and perspective, and you have some extremes within that as well, and the solvers, they have their worldview and perspective and have the extremes from that. And, and how do we figure out ways to get everyone to 
take their their moments to lament, but then actually like start to work together to serve the whole person. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's it's something that came out of the world of entrepreneurship. If we think about the way high growth startups approach the world, you know, lean startup tells us that we have hypotheses and then we go and we craft experiments, right? We go and we do discovery, we craft experiments, we go and we test, and then we learn and then we you know, take action from there, whether we pivot or we continue on the same course. So it turns out that we are in this place in the world where we think of things as either or. Either you're right or I'm right. And yet, if we come up a level, we are all actually on team solve homelessness. We're all on team, we hate poverty. We're all on team, you know, fill in the blank. We have different hypotheses about the problem and about the solution. And that is okay. That can be okay if we take that approach. Because then we can say, you have a hypothesis, I have a hypothesis, here's what we're doing to test that hypothesis. And we're committed to not so much whether we want to be right, we're committed to solving the problem. And then we're taking a place, we're taking a posture of transparency, sharing what actually is working. Let's really look at, did that work? If it worked, great. What parts of it worked? Did parts of it not work? What can we learn from your experiment, my experiment? It has to start though with, we come into the program with 10 commitments that we ask everybody to make. And those commitments are, they start with lament. They start with understanding that the place that we begin solving is that we have to be willing to enter into the difficult, ugly uncomfortableness of some of these problems. We don't have to agree with the speaker to be a person who can show empathy. And every person is a person with gifts and talents to offer. Every person could be a solver. We constantly bring people back to these 10 commitments. And it's remarkable to watch. And I mean, it gets uncomfortable. I mean, we don't get more than you know one or two weeks into our 12-week program before we're confronting racism head-on in some uncomfortable conversations. You have to do it. You have to, you have to do it because we're never going to solve the problems if we don't actually tackle the elephant in the room. And we're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to make a mess of it. But I'd rather make a mess of it than not touch it because it sits there. It comes up everywhere we go. It has come up in every single conversation I have ever had in the last three years about what's broken and why. But you know, if we take this approach that we can operate through the standpoint of we all care about the problem, we just have different hypotheses about how we solve it, it becomes a way to, to be okay having different ideas, having different solutions. But we have to agree we have common humanity. And common humanity requires common empathy. And that's where I think lament becomes a really important piece of this. Whether you use lament, you use empathy, being willing to listen to something that makes you uncomfortable, that you may or may not agree with, and still see the other person's humanity in it, how much they feel it, as opposed to dealing clinically with it, because then that makes me feel not heard if I'm the person you're listening clinically to. So these tools are not easy tools for people to grasp because we, we haven't learned these tools. I mean, I, I never learned these tools. It was go college, get your degree. What's your career path? Like get on with your achievement. What are you waiting for? But these, it turns out these are really important skills that we as a country need to learn to remaster. Hmm. Ooh, okay. And there's a lot, there's a lot to respond to there. And 
I want to try to do it justice. No, no pun intended because it is the name of our podcast. But when you talk about the four quadrants, right, the servers and solvers, I think Charles is probably chuckling to himself uh, a little bit because for us, it's the three bubbles. You know, Charles and I, I can't tell you how many times in a white on in front of a whiteboard, we've drawn three bubbles of just the, the intersection and or the necessary intersection between business, nonprofits, and the faith community. And like, how do we create that sweet spot in the middle of that Venn diagram where those folks from different sectors are really living out the values of this both and mentality that you're encouraging us to take on a holistic approach to solving our community's biggest challenges. And so what I want you to do, Don, if you could, is we've been talking at a, at a, at a high level, right? 10,000 foot view. If you could, we're going to dip, can we dip the plane for a little bit, go down into like a day in the life of builders and backers, what does that actually look like practically to try to do this? You know, because that's what our probably our listeners are doing is like, what does this mean? Like, if you could just give us a little bit of like, let us be a fly on the wall on a day in the life of living this out, these value systems out through builders and backers and what that looks like in the communities in which you're you're coming alongside. And then second part of that question, the plane goes back up. If you could wave a magic wand over all the things we're talking about. Honestly, I mean, over over all of 2020, if you want, what's the one thing that if you had that magic wand and you could wave it to really get at the root, what's the one thing that you would you would do that would have the most profound ripple effect from your vantage point? I hope you don't get jet lag or or you know <laughs> from that metaphorical leap, but I think that I think that you you could take us on that ride. Sure. So you know, sort of on a day to day basis. So we're structured to to do a couple things. The first is that we focus on helping equip sort of a pipeline of builders through what we call our fellows program. As we've been perfecting this program, it's shifted from, you know, obviously an events-based program in the days when we could actually have events to an all-virtual program now. And it's in essence a a multi-week program where we help people in in the cohort to understand what's broken and why. So we've got you know, three years of research into why our communities are struggling. What's what's broken? Why is it broken? And it turns out that there's actually 10 spirals of distress that sort of all work together for this giant system of brokenness. And so it's important that we have people understand that because that impacts how we begin solving and explains why some of our efforts to solve sort of pieces and parts of what's broken aren't having the impact we want them to have. So we start there and then we you know, we help people understand the entrepreneurial tools that if I say to you, entrepreneurship is the way to solve these problems, most people would say, oh, I'm not Elon Musk. I'm not Mark Zuckerberg. We call it buildership. And it is literally taking the best of world-class entrepreneurial tools and applying it to solving any problem. And then being venture agnostic. We don't care if a venture comes out. We will coach and work with people to say, what is the problem you care about? What's your hypothesis about that problem? What is the idea that you have? How do you go test that idea? Who else cares about that problem that might have different hypotheses that you should be in community with? So we facilitate that through a training program and through introducing people to one another and to sort of this giant community of builders and backers. And then we back the ideas that come out of this work. So we backed an organization called BOMO, which is mobilizing volunteers all over the country to just get out and serve either physically or virtually. We created the Be a Neighbor campaign in partnership with BOMO to provide free tools for any not-for-profit organization that is providing frontline 
sort of volunteer services in the community, like food banks and churches. We're actively investing in things that are building the infrastructure that communities need to create flourishing. So we're partnered with an organization called Her Corner, which is helping mobilize female entrepreneurs to grow their ventures and and become leaders in their communities. So we're sort of one part mobilizing and equipping a world of builders. And then we're backers of the things that we think if we could be doing these things at scale in our communities, we could really be making a significant dent in the problems our communities face. And then we back the ideas that come out of our fellows cohorts. So, you know, sort of sprinkling a million seeds across the country um, and letting them bloom. We do that through our donor advised fund. And so we're not anticipating getting a return back personally from that work. It literally is through sprinkling philanthropic capital and seeing what flourishes. And then we have a builders and backers fund, which is funding sort of an entire spectrum of ventures that do result to some of the seeds that have been sprinkled so we can take them to scale. So, you know, we get to work with some really optimistic people. Um, We get to coach them through this process of seeing what's broken, coming to grips with it, entering into lament, coming out the other side, wholly inspired, but approaching it dramatically differently than they would have. And we get to see a community sort of start to fire and to start to like see that they have agency, that, that we can, you know, whomever sits in the White House, that that matters, but it isn't the end all be all because there's a whole lot that I can do, we can do, our community can do, because it turns out most of what needs to be done is local. So, you know, that's sort of the day-to-day stuff that we get to do. And it, it's what keeps me optimistic because I get to see the optimism every day in the lights going on for people going, oh, there's actually a lot more I could do about fill in the blank problem. This is amazing. I would say to my friends, I just love being around really intelligent people who likes to solve problems because it gets your wheels firing and, and the cylinders firing on so many fronts. I've been taking notes over here. I'm like, oh man, I definitely want to try this. There's this one question. I'm, I'm so glad Rob gave me this question to ask you. It reminds me of, there's this uh, young interviewer uh, who asked David Letterman, who I consider to be like the Michael Jordan of interviewers, may get me in trouble down the road, but hey. But one of the things he, he said that the key thing is asking any person that you talk with is their why. And I just want to kind of break the question down in a way where we dive deeper into like truly your why. Because I know a lot of times we rise up and start thinking like cerebrally and kind of go through the things that we've said like 50 times over with different interviews and, and things like that. Um, but I really want the listeners to really know Donna Harris's why and and if we were to like just take beyond just the the lean startup, the entrepreneurial model. And the reason why I say this, because I do this a lot as well, is trying to figure out what is it that drives you and keeps you going personally, because you're a mom, you're an entrepreneur, you're a wife, you're an ecosystem builder, you're a venture capitalist, philanthropist, like all of those accolades, but there's a, there's a core operating system to who you are. And I'm just as well as uh, the listeners are, are very curious about your why and and what is it that keeps you going personally? I mean, for me, so I'm a person of faith and I think deeply about calling and purpose. And I have throughout my career pined to be a different kind of person, right? Because it would be easier to be a different kind of person. It would be easier to just head to the valley, put these skills to work, create some massively scalable thing that was not 
super meaningful, but provided me a lot of financial return. And that has never appealed to me because I, I see brokenness everywhere. It's all around us, things that are crying out to be solved. And they are solvable. Every one of them, they're solvable. We're choosing not to solve them. And that, that's my lament. That is what makes me lament is we could be, right? What is the one thing I, could, I wish we could change? I wish if we look at the spirals of distress and imagine them as 10 wheels connected in a wheel, in the center of the wheel, I would put selfishness. We have created a culture where it's about me and it's about my gain. It's about my getting ahead. And there's nothing wrong with getting ahead. There's nothing wrong with achievement because those things can be, bring remarkable results. But we aren't thinking about one another. We don't see ourselves as connected into a greater whole. And all of us, I mean, whether we're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, agnostic, at the end of the day, if we don't see our collectiveness, that we're connected to one another, and we're only just very myopically focused on just ourselves, as opposed to, you know, sort of self-interest properly understood as some of the early thinkers of capitalism imagined, we, we use these remarkable tools of capitalism and entrepreneurship for our own gain at the exclusion of everything else. And that's, that's what troubles me as somebody that's been in the middle of it is this is an enormously powerful tool that we could be aiming at solving any problem in front of us. And technology, think about the power we have in our pockets. Technology is not self-determining. We determine how technology gets used and we're determining to use it to do what? Post cat memes and tear at each other's eyeballs over Twitter? Like we can choose better. We can choose better. And I, I wish as society, we would choose better. I wish we would choose each other over self. And sometimes that's hard because it means giving up something as opposed to constantly saying, how do I optimize for myself? But I wish if there were more of us that would do that, these problems in front of us, a lot of them are solvable. I mean, you think about loneliness or hunger. I have a fridge full of food. There should be no hunger in this world. We're relational human beings. There should be no loneliness in this world, but we're choosing not. So that's the, that's my, my, what drives me, what makes me tick, and also what I lament over and what I hope for. That's strong. Thank you, Donna. Yeah. It sounds like, Donna, I mean, if I could use your quote earlier, asking ourselves, what are we optimizing for? And is that, a, is that thing of ultimate value? You know, ultimate lasting value or not? And, and who is it ultimately about? And just being able to name that, because I think that when you talk about selfishness being at the center of the wheel, if we're all honest, we all struggle with having that at the center of all of our wheels. And it's easy to talk about how it's at the center of <laughs> that person on Twitter's wheel that I really don't agree with. But you know, earlier you talked about not needing to have to agree to show empathy. And are we more committed to solving the problem or are we more committed to being right? And I just think that ultimately that takes a humility, you know, more at the center of these wheels for us to move forward and really heal from just all the roller coaster that we that we have been on. And 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 2020 is not the beginning of the roller coaster by any stretch, right? I mean, this, you know, these problems weren't invented this year. But I, I think it is inspirational to hear you, the way you talk. I believe you when you feel and the way you talk about it that we can solve these things. If but I think it is taking this accounting. You know, Jess talks about it, like this spiritual accounting of ourselves and seeing ourselves clearly before we can see others clearly. And so everybody has something 
that if they dig deep, they care about, right? What is that thing that you keep coming back to when you read the paper, or that story that constantly troubles you or breaks you? That's the thing that you care about. What's, what are you doing somewhere in these four quadrants of serving, donating, investing, solving? What are you doing about that thing you care about? If the answer is nothing, then pick a quadrant and get started. That's, that's it, right? You don't have to do everything in this, but you should be volunteering. You should be donating. You should be trying to solve a problem. You should be investing in a problem. You should be reaching out to take care of or care for somebody with that problem. You should be learning about that problem. Every single human being in this world should have something they care about and they're investing themselves into hmm. other than themselves. And there it is, right? That, I think we, we always land the plane. I've said plane maybe too many times in this interview, but- uh, You're back to travel and- Right, like, I don't know. I haven't actually flown recently. I don't know why it keeps coming up, but as we land it, you know, Jess talks about the show up moment. Every episode we have a show up moment. I think you've, you've given it to us, like pick a quadrant. So practically, if people are listening, they don't know anything about builders and backers, and they want to learn more, you've said, I sense a lot of templates that you're alluding to that and we could chase like, how practically can they get more knowledge about what you're doing and maybe access to like maybe even what the quadrants are? Because I mean, we're talking about them as if people don't know, but you know, they can listen to this episode. They're inspired. What do I do with this inspiration? Help me, Donna, pick a quadrant. Where would you point them practically to be able to take that next step? Sure. If you could just go to buildersandbackers.com, there's all sorts of material out there, resources out there, and will be in the coming months as well. You can sign up for a briefing, a webinar, or if you're interested in just getting started and rolling up your sleeves and actually learning how to do this, you can sign up for our next fellows cohort. We've had enough interest that we're going to be starting to run them at least one cohort starting every month, possibly more frequent depending on literally the demand. It's demand-driven. So the more people that are interested, the more often we'll run them. And our goal is to try to get as many people as possible through the program, equipped, rolling up their sleeves. We're problem agnostic. Go ahead and get started. Donna, thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I love the way that your mind works. I love the way that way your heart works. And I love the way that those are connected. I really believe that like you, you know, you're, you're using them both to really be able to help build flourishing, thriving communities. And we're really grateful for the work that you do. So thank you for being on with us today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm really glad for the work that you all are doing as well. Thank you, Donna. You're amazing. Appreciate you. Likewise. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, Charles, man, um, my mind's going a, a mile a minute and yours naturally runs 10 or 20 <laughs> miles a minute. So I'm going to let you go first because I, I just want to hear you. Uh, what stood out to you most? There was so much there for, that Donna shared with us, you know, for you as a kind of the wired for, for solving, you know, the, you know, the entrepreneurial mindset and heartbeat that I know you have, like what, what rose to the surface for you in that conversation? There's, there's one thing that comes up to mind going back to the root uh, when we talk a little bit about her operating system and it's selfishness. And not everyone is, not everyone is, is selfish and not everyone is completely selfless. But when we realize that we can leverage the tools and the entrepreneurial ecosystem and talent to solve a lot of the world's problems, it may not come at the same margin that we're used to, but you still can live an exceptional life with that. And uh, that's the piece where I think is, is very powerful, powerful. And then the other part is how do we come together from points of extremes and, and how do we temper 
the fire that's that's burning within us, especially with a season like 2020. You know, what are some of those things that we can do? And she gave some tools. And, and I would say, you know, take on that entrepreneurial hat and put a hypothesis together and test those things out with people that don't believe the same thing that you believe or think the way that you think. Hmm. I think for me, and kind of very related to what you're talking about, we covered a lot of ground in that in that interview. I mean, we were talking about lament and ecosystem building. When's the last time you had a conversation where those two things came up over lunch, right? But in all seriousness, I mean, it's profound. I mean, she's talking about this from a very personal, you can tell this is personal for her. Like this is, it literally is personal for her today. And these things, these issues that we're talking about, they, she said they cut deep wounds and we got to pause and feel the full weight of that, of those wounds so that we can develop a different set of answers. And I just think that is so profound to me because she's right when she says, these things must break us at the heart level. This can't just be intellectual in our exercises as we seek to optimize for, for solutions that are really meaningful. And I think this idea of, you know, you and I, Charles, we talk about this all the time, this tension that she named between going deep and going fast. And we feel like they have, they're at odds. Um, and I think that we kind of see them as spaces that can't really coexist. But I mean, that, the way she talked about it gave me hope that they can that you can, you can have meaningful change. It may not mean going at the same pace, you know, sacrificing a little bit of speed or, or maybe some, sometimes a lot of speed for meaningful change and for solutions um, because it's got to be personal for us. Like it, it's got to be emo- rooted in emotion and relationships and, and relationships can't be microwaved. And I had a friend, a friend of mine that uh, is, a, is a friend of ReCity Robert Albright, who's very much in this ecosystem building space with his work with, with FSG. I mean, he, he's quoted, and I say his quote all the time, change happens at the speed of trust. Yeah. And I just think that that is something that we got to bring into the, it's a reality we have to bring into building ecosystems to solving the most complex problems is that we, we never move past relationships in all this. And I just think that that's a, it's good. It's good. I think we got to center ourselves in that truth as we move forward, as we look ahead to 2021, right? I don't, I don't think these things are going away. Life's not going to get magically, the grass ain't greener, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> no way. No way, man. I think you, you're spot on. We just got to keep moving forward and keep the fight and, and hold the line. And I think things will start to, to come into fruition from there. Well, I commit to do that with you, man. And I know you're committed to, do, to doing it with me. I mean, she Come said on. the four quadrants. I, I, I still like three circles, but hey, you know what? To each his own, whatever it is, get on their website, check out Donna and the amazing things they're doing and lean in, pick a quadrant, pick a circle, whatever whatever shape you want to call it. You get what we mean. Roll, yeah. let's lo- roll up your sleeves with us and let's, let's do this together and really lean in. So thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 